Thank you for leading us in song, and I'd love for you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 6. John chapter 6, we're going to finish just this chapter this morning. We'll be looking at verses 60 through 61. John 6, verses 60 through 61. The word of God reads as follows. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is of no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and we've come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon, Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. Pray with me as we enter into this time in the Word of God. We thank you, Father, for the awesome privilege it is to gather together and to hear from your Word. As we've sung about and as Peter testifies in this passage, you alone have words of eternal life. So we've come recognizing that to heed to these words and to listen and to apply them and to walk in them is to walk in the way of life. Many will choose the opposite. Many will desire to go in a different direction. Every other direction no matter how pleasant it might seem, leads to destruction. And so we give you thanks, Father, that you have given us the one way to life through your Son and his word. Help us to understand that word today as we study it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, perhaps you have heard of one of the most famous poems that's ever existed. It's a poem by the name The Road Not Taken. It's written by a man named Robert Frost, and not only is it one of the most famous poems to ever be written, it's also one of the most misunderstood poems to have ever been written. I'll read it to you. It goes like this. Two roads diverged in a yellow wood, and sorry I could not travel both and be one traveler. Long I stood and looked down one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth. 
Then I took the other, as just as fair. And having perhaps the better claim, because it was grassy and wanted wear, though as for that the passing there had torn them really about the same. And both that morning equally lay, in leaves no step had trodden black. Oh, I kept the first for another day. Yet knowing how way leads on to way, I doubted if I should ever come back. I shall be telling this with a sigh, somewhere ages and ages hence. Two roads diverge in a wood, and I, I took the road less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. Now, you can understand to some extent why it's confusing. It's because it's a poem. But you can also understand it's partly confusing because people have been trying to figure out what exactly does he mean. Two roads diverging in this wood, and he takes and chooses a particular direction. The ending of it, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. It seems to many in reading this poem that this man made a choice, and he's very glad he took the road that many haven't gone down. And that's been the interpretation of this poem for quite a long time. I took the path that many others haven't dared to face. I made a choice that was unique to me. I'm noble because as an individual, I went contrary to the crowd and I chose to do something different. What's funny is the writer of this poem, Robert Frost, tells us that's not the point at all. And he tells us a story about why he wrote this poem. It has to do with a dear friend of his, of his Mr. Thomas, a man who he says is just unbelievably indecisive. And so he wrote this poem to him after traveling back home and remembering going on a long walk with his friend, coming to a fork in the road and watching as his friend could not make a decision. This poem is not about the nobility of individualism. It's instead about the frustration of indecision. It's about coming to a place where you see there's a crossroads. You see that a choice has to be made and you don't know what to do. Now, this is the path that many of you are on. You can think about this as it relates to your friends and the relationships that you've built. Should I continue with this group or should I go a different direction? You can think of this in the way of uh, maybe the career that you're pursuing. What is it that comes after high school? What college should I go to? I've come to a place of needing to make a decision, but it's unclear what path I should take. This kind of crossroads comes to all of us in life, and indecision isn't unique to anyone. Indecision reminds us that we are not omniscient. In other words, indecision reminds us that we are not God. If we were God, we would know what to do at all times, anywhere, and no matter what the circumstances are. But because we are finite and human, because we are so small, the thought of a decision can cripple us. Friends, the beauty of the gospel and what we find in John chapter 6 is that the words of Matthew 7 are true. There is a wide gate and a narrow gate, and the wide gate leads many to destruction, 
and the narrow gate leads many to life. Which will you choose? I think if it was up to us, we would not know. We're indecisive. We want more information. We'd like to see a little bit. What does it look like to go down that path? What is like life if life like if I actually venture down this journey? Jesus is such a kind savior that he paints a picture of both roads for you so that you might know exactly what comes regardless of the decision you make. And even more so, Jesus is so kind as to help you see, even through this passage that we're going to study this morning, that no decision you make could ever lead you to a right relationship with God. But instead, at this crossroads, God must bring you into his path himself. That the road that must be taken is not one that you would choose for yourself. Many have rejected it. Many have wandered away. Many have come to the place of seeing who Jesus is and seeing clearly what he offers and have gone astray. But those who have chosen the path of Christ have come to recognize they have chosen Christ because Christ has chosen them. And so this morning we have an opportunity to see that we have seen as jesus has ministered to many and we have seen that no road at all will lead to life if it is not through the name the person and the work of jesus christ and jesus had has made this abundantly clear in this gospel why don't you go down that road with me just a little bit john chapter 3 Jesus to the religious man, Nicodemus, verse 3 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus again, chapter 3, verse 13. No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. John three thirty three. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Turn over to chapter 4 and look with me at verse 25. Here with the woman at the well, she begins to see clearly who this man before her is and she declares, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus says to her, I who speak to you am 
he. You can drop down in that chapter to verse 42. After this woman goes into the town and tells them of what Jesus has done, they come out to see him for themselves, and they say, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. After healing the man at the pool of Siloam, And Jesus goes into this elegant discourse of how he is deity. He is God. And in it, Jesus is not trying to confuse you. Jesus is making the path, the way that leads to heaven clear. Chapter 5, verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He who does not come into judgment, comes into judgment, but is passed from death to life. Jesus has been abundantly clear about how you and I can be right with God. There is no amount of religiosity that could fix what is broken between humanity and the God of heaven. There is no amount of devotion. There is no amount of prayer. Can we even say there is no amount of reading your Bible that will save you if it is not because Jesus has drawn you to himself? If if it's not because Jesus has shown you that without him, you have no hope. Jesus uses the clarity of this gospel to paint a portrait for these people based upon bread. Something we all love, something we all know, and something that most of us need, unless you're gluten-free. So bread. And in this discourse about bread, Jesus makes himself even more clear. John 6, verse 33 The bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And then in verse 35, I am the bread of life. And whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Drop down to verse 40. This is the will of my father. This is the path that is chosen by heaven. The king of heaven has declared, this is the path of salvation. That everyone who looks on the son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. Friends, many people don't want to follow Jesus And they've got every excuse in the book. But I can tell you one that doesn't work. A lack of clarity. I can tell you an excuse that you won't have when you stand before the God of heaven. I just didn't understand what Jesus was saying. I just didn't understand what he was trying to tell us. Jesus has made himself abundantly clear. And the road that leads to heaven is very often 
left behind. So few enter by this gate and walk this path. Its soil is still fresh because so few refuse, so many refuse to believe Jesus at his word. And it comes down to this, friends. The nature of unbelief, it isn't a lack of clarity or a lack of evidence on Jesus' part. It is a lack of love on your part. Those who reject the gospel of Jesus, it isn't because Jesus had his, hasn't made himself understandable. It isn't because Jesus has been mincing words. It isn't because Jesus is clouding the way to heaven. It is because you have heard what Jesus has to offer and you say no thank you. If you don't choose to walk down this path, it is because you have heard what Jesus offers by his love and his grace and you have chosen to say, I prefer myself. Friends, we have come to a fork in the road. We are at an ultimate crossroads here. You could see it happening in chapter 6, verse 41. The Jews begin to grumble. And yet again in verse 52, the Jews begin to dispute. And now we come to the point where they're offended. And friends, they're offended for the same reason that every unbeliever is, a friend, is offended. Because what Jesus is saying is true. You want to know that you love Jesus? You love his word. You know he speaks truth. And you want to live by that truth. You want to know that you have nothing to do with Jesus? That you have no love for him? You care nothing for his word. What he has to say is offensive to you. You don't like people bringing it up because it forces you to have to deal with reality. It isn't that what Jesus is saying is confusing. It's that what Jesus is saying confines you to reality it isn't that what jesus is saying is hard to believe it's actually that what jesus says is so believable that you know he's right this is the nature of unbelief and today i want it to be clear in your heart where you stand many follow jesus and go away and very few follow jesus and endure to the end what we have before us is a crossroads, and in it I want you to see that there's only two ways you can go. No matter how enamored you might be with the thought of Jesus, or no matter how much you might think he's a good guy, no matter how much you might think he had some awesome things to say, it matters nothing if you do not follow him with all of your life. Two things that are exposed for us in this passage that'll make it clear to you which direction you're going. Two things that will be made clear in this passage that will help you understand the road that you've taken. Number one, it is the path of false discipleship. And number two, I want us to see the path of true discipleship. Those are the two things we'll look at through this passage. Number one, it is the path of false discipleship. And number two, it is the path of true discipleship. Look with me at verse 60. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying, who can listen to it? 
And you're asking yourself, well, what is it that they heard? And we just have to go back a few verses to see what it is they've been hearing. What they've heard is a difficult saying, your Bible might say. ESV, my Bible says a hard saying. And it isn't that it's not understandable. The word itself, it means that it's challenging. It's difficult. It's striking. It's absolutely understandable, but it hurts. It's the kind of truth that unsettles you. It makes you uncomfortable. And what is that truth that Jesus has been saying that's so hard to hear? Well, we've already read through some of it. But John 6, Jesus tells us he is the bread of God. He is the one that's come down from heaven to give life to the world. So this is news to these people. They've enjoyed following Jesus. They've enjoyed following him because of the literal bread that he provides and the wondrous miracles that he works, the absolute piety with which he lives his life. In other words, this is a holy man, a blameless man, who above all that does amazing things. This is someone like Moses. This reminds us of that one that delivered our people long ago. They're enamored with the idea of someone who is a deliverer on earth. Not knowing all the while, this is the one who can deliver them into heaven. But they understand it. And they see what Jesus is saying and it begins to cause them to grumble and to dispute, to argue, and to turn against Jesus. It is a hard saying because if Jesus says he's from God and he's right, then we're not. If Jesus is truly from God, we all have to listen to him. If Jesus is truly from God, and the only way to a right relationship with God is through him, everything I've been doing counts for nothing. I've been wasting my time. I've been doing things to no end. So now everything rides on Jesus or not. They understood the message true and well. The message is Jesus is the one who's come from heaven. And if you plan to get there, you have to partake of him. This is what he says in John 6, 53. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. My flesh is true food. My body is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Verse 57 and as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. Verse 58 ends, whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus isn't confusing anybody about the truth. Jesus has made it clear it's all or nothing believing in him. Jesus has made it clear this is much more than the ability to feed 20,000 plus people on a mountain. 
This is about satisfying the soul of that one sheep that is lost. This is what he came for. And when that message takes precedence, when that message begins to dominate, people begin to fall away. It's nice to have a Jesus who does the things you want. It's not so nice to have a Jesus who does the things he wants. That's the issue these disciples face. And notice that they are called disciples. And it's not because they're true disciples. It isn't because they truly believe in Jesus. But this is just a word that's used to mean someone who follows. And they have followed along with Jesus. And now they've come to a place where they're having to accept what Jesus says is true. And they don't envision themselves going any further. This is a difficult saying because we don't like it. This is a hard saying because we don't want to believe it. This isn't a hard saying because we don't understand it. It's a hard saying because we do understand it. And friends, this may be you. The reason you can't follow Jesus is because you understand very well exactly what Jesus is saying. And you choose and you prefer to live in the lies and sin that have you where you are rather than to receive the grace that Jesus offers. Jesus responds in this way to them and perhaps to you. Knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, he said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. Notice what Jesus does here. To the false disciple, the one that's ready to give up, the one who's in on Jesus when Jesus is doing what they want, but not in on Jesus when they have to believe in the truth, Jesus says, are you offended by this? What if I were to go back up to heaven? Then would you believe? And let me tell you, the answer to that is absolutely not. No amount of anything that Jesus does will make these people believe. He's already come down from heaven. That should be sufficient for them to believe. And they do not. So ascending into heaven will not change anything. But you know what will? Verse 63 the spirit that gives life, where the flesh is no help at all. Friends, if you've rejected Jesus time and time again, and you think that what Jesus has to say is too difficult for you to want to believe, if you think the words of Jesus are too much for you to bear, if you know the words of Jesus are true about you being a sinner, and you being one who is destined for destruction, you being one who deserves the wrath of God, you being one who can do nothing to earn yourself God's grace or God's love, if you recognize that truth and you don't believe, let me tell you something. You are in the perfect position for God to work because there is absolutely nothing for you to do. The Spirit must do a work in your life to give you eternal life. The flesh is of no help at all. You can't help yourself. And so you're a rejecter of Jesus. Let me tell you good news today. Hope is not lost for you. 
Because where the Spirit of God desires to work, He saves. Now, our prayer for you is to recognize that in your sinfulness and in your lostness, Jesus can still save you. By what means does the Spirit work? How can I know that the Spirit is at work to save? How can I know that the Spirit is moving to do that kind of thing? He tells us, the words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. So how do we know the Spirit is at work? Because the Word is at work. Where is it that the Spirit is moving? Where there's an open Bible and a listening ear. How do we know that the Spirit of God is doing something miraculous in the heart of a sinner? Because they have heard with faith the words of Christ, as it says in Romans 10, 17. Some of you need to come to Jesus. You've been following along and coming to church long enough. And in your heart, you know you're not right with him. In your heart, you know that you still reject him time and time again. Your life is a mockery to God of your profession. Are you not tired of living in that way? You've given up on any idea of you being saved. The good news for you today is God has not given up on that. Because the Spirit works where the Word is at work. You are here listening to this, that by some means, and that means being the grace of God, you might be saved. False disciples do this. They hear these truths. They hear the word of God, and even then, they run away. Verse 64, Jesus knows that there are some of these who do not believe. And verse 64 even tells us Jesus knew that from the beginning there was those who wouldn't believe, and there was one who would betray him. And so he says, this is why I told you, no one can come to me unless it is granted by my Father. What great news for a sinner today. If you've been faking being a disciple of Jesus, what good news for you that you do not have to come to Jesus, but Jesus is coming to you. And you might not want to follow Jesus, but all who Jesus draws in will follow him. All who Jesus chooses to save will be saved. He said it for us in John 6, 44. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. And that drawing you, that's not an invitation. That's not a please, please, please. That's not a I'm begging you. That word drawing unto Jesus is the same word used for Paul being dragged through the streets. Read through the book of Acts and you'll see where Paul, for the sake of Christ, is persecuted, mocked, beaten, dragged through the streets. And that word for being dragged around is the same word for being drawn. You know why? You might not desire to follow God. But if God has a hold of your life and desires to save you, he'll bring you kicking and screaming. Absolutely he will. That's how good of a God he is. That as much as you might reject him, he will still draw you in until you find him to be the loveliest person of all. He saves and he grants life to those whom he must save. 
Verse 66 ends on a somber note. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. That's it. Case in point, false discipleship, what is it? You can hear the glorious truths of the gospel and still walk away. What's a fake disciple? It's the kind of person who shows up in a room like this, opens up a book like this, and as soon as he walks out has nothing to do with Jesus doesn't allow the word to implant himself, itself in his heart or her heart, has no desire to walk in newness of life, has no desire to love the Lord Jesus because they don't know the love of Jesus. This is false discipleship. It hears the good news of the gospel and it prefers him or herself. A false disciple hears of how Jesus can save and says, I don't need it. A false disciple hears about how Jesus, through the word, desires to save by the power of his spirit and says, no, thank you. I can do this on my own. What is the path of true discipleship? We'll work through this very quickly because it's very simple. Verse 67, so Jesus says to the 12, do you want to go away as well? And Jesus turned to his most intimate group of disciples. There was a larger group that was with him. They have all gone away. They have vanished. Now there's just 12. And Jesus says, well, you've seen everyone else pack up and go. Do you want to do the same? You can leave if you need to. You can leave if you want to. And God bless Simon Peter because he steps up and answers like he always does. One minute, he's a get-behind-me-Satan kind of guy, and the next minute, he's preaching. And here, he has good things to say. Simon Peter answers, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. What does the life of a true disciple look like? What is true discipleship? It's knowing that without Jesus, there's nothing else. If it's not Jesus, there's nowhere else you could turn to to find what Jesus offers. This is a a one-time and one-person-only kind of a deal. If you want eternal life, there aren't many marketplaces that offer that. You won't find it in the streets. You won't find it on the internet. You most certainly won't find it in this world. If you want this offer, there's one place you can buy. And it's with Jesus. Peter understands what those other disciples could not. This is the only hope we have. And how does he know that? Because this is the Holy One of God. This is the spotless Lamb. This is the one who is blameless and righteous. This is the one who came to take away the sins of the world. Behold, this is him. And if you want life, you must come to him and receive it on his terms. Peter believed. And he had come to know. This is it. This is the road not taken. Because so many choose themselves over Jesus. Friends, if that's you, this is a call today for you to believe, for you to be right with God, 
to hear the gospel of God's salvation and to believe in it. Many will walk away, and amongst Jesus' 12, there is one that you know of very well. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. The good news is that Jesus saves. The bad news is that so many can get so close to Jesus and not receive that salvation. Judas got to walk with Jesus. He got to talk with Jesus. He got to eat with Jesus. He got to hear the best preaching the world's ever heard. He got to serve alongside Jesus, and it wasn't enough. Or was it? Friends, I think the point of this passage is very simple. What Jesus has to say and what Jesus offers is enough. And if you don't take it, you only have yourself to blame. Judas didn't believe, and it wasn't for lack of love on Jesus' part. Judas didn't believe, and it was for lack of love on his part. He thought that being around Jesus was enough. He he thought that bearing the name of Jesus' disciple was enough. But it isn't. He thought that serving in the name of Jesus was enough. But it wasn't. Many will go down that same path. And you know the thing is, Jesus knows exactly where your heart is. That's the point of this passage as well. That there really are only two paths, those who will be saved and those who will not be saved. And Jesus knows from the beginning those who will not believe and those who will. Friends, the road not taken is often missed because We try to make it on our own. Today, I want you to hear it loud and clear. If you are to take that road, it is because Jesus will bring you in. Are you filled with sin and shame and guilt? Then let Jesus bring you in. If you need a savior and forgiveness and new life, let Jesus bring you in. And when he does, you run that race till the end. Because it's Jesus who will take you home. Pray with me. Father, thank you for your word and your truth. Thank you, God, for the good news of the gospel. We are not saviors of ourselves. There is no work that we could do and uh, no devotion that we could give that would be sufficient. And however, you have sent a sufficient savior one who, unlike us, is perfect and holy and blameless, one who took our place on a cross, bearing our sin and shame and our deserved wrath so that we might receive life in him. You are clear that though there might seem to be differing paths, indecision will not help. We must be decisive because you are decisive. And so, Lord, if you are working in the heart of any student here, I pray that you would make it clear to them. They would draw to you, recognizing you have drawn them by your grace and your love and your compassion. Thank you that you are a savior and that those who believe in you will never regret it. In Jesus' name we pray.
Amen.